Good morning, y'all. It's so good to be here. Man, that, I just want to celebrate that again. That is what it's all about. That's what we do anything for. That's what we serve him for. Uh, to see people come into new life. To see people brought into the kingdom of God. And so I celebrate that um, this morning, right now, in this moment. In heaven, there is shouting going on because another one has entered the kingdom of heaven. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Holy Spirit, thank you for your leading, your drawing on our lives. You truly are good. We don't deserve you. We don't deserve your faithfulness. You are a God who is near to his people. You are a God whose heart is poured out for his people. You are good. We celebrate you today and we celebrate the work you are doing in the lives of people. We celebrate the transformation that we've already seen this morning. The victory already won. All glory to you, God. You are good. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, as Jill said, I'm Jason, and I know, um, I know so many folks, uh, it has been years since I've seen some faces, but it's so good to be back here. Uh, I'm a pastor at a church in Thomasville. Um, my wife and I just recently moved there this past year. We had, before that, we had been in Chapel Hill. Uh, we helped plant a church, start a new church in Chapel Hill nine years ago, and uh, had been serving there as pastors, and this past year, we just moved uh, to Thomasville. And we are at a church called Mount Zion Wesleyan Church there in Thomasville. Um, and uh, it is a delight. It is so good to be here. I was just uh, telling someone this morning, I left uh, Dan River, I left Eden back in 2002 uh, to go to college, to bu- go to Bible college. And uh, shortly, really quickly and unexpectedly, uh, got plugged into a ministry and was brought onto a church, around, uh, I think in like 2003. And so since then, it's been tough to come back and visit because pretty much every Sunday I'm serving somewhere. Uh, but it is a delight to be here this morning um, back with you all. Um, my wife and daughter uh, are here. Amber, they just slipped to the nursery. That would have been a good time to introduce them. But uh, if you see a beautiful redhead walking around with this adorable little blonde-headed, curly-headed girl, those are my people. Uh, Amber and Emmy Lou, um, they have my heart. Um, so it's been neat this morning kind of showing them, this is where I grew up. This is my home church. Um, I've got so many memories uh, that are tied to this place, um, and uh, it's just a special place. Uh, I can remember myself making uh, commitments and surrendering uh, areas of my life to Jesus right here. Uh, at this altar. Uh, what a special place. Um, I vividly remember, vividly remember uh, in, in full color uh, a, um, one of our pastors here, uh, Jim Hewlett, who one time when I was nine years old spoke over me, spoke a word over me. Uh, no one else was around. My parents weren't around. Uh, but it was one of those Holy Spirit moments, and even at nine years old, I knew something was special about that moment. Uh, we were standing right at the bottom of the ramp uh, out here, 
in, uh, in a parking spot, and he just walked up to me, laid his hand on my head, and leaned into me, and he said, God has called you to ministry. He wants you to prepare. You're a future preacher. And I remember that at nine years, nine years old. I'll never forget it. Um, so many memories are tied up into this place. Um, I remember being given the opportunity right here to cut my teeth in, in preaching. <laughs> this was the first place uh, I ever uh, spoke. And so it was it's such a beautiful thing to be back here. Um, some of my deepest and longest lasting friendships were uh, born here at this church in the youth group. Um, youth group for me was huge when I was a teenager, uh, and this church was just such a pivotal part of my foundation coming up. And, and like I say, still today, some of my best friends are folks that I came up through this church with. Um, one other memory that I have is during a youth group, speaking of youth group, during a youth group lock-in, and everyone, we were, uh, it was like all-nighter, you know, and I can't remember where we were. Maybe we were, the youth, the lock-in was in the fellowship hall, maybe, um, but all the students, all the teenagers were together all night long, and I don't know, around 3.30 in the morning or so, I, I got pretty tired and was like, I'm going to go off by myself and go to sleep, and so I remember coming in here uh, to the sanctuary in one of those back rows back there. It was dark. All the lights were out left the lights out, and I went to sleep, on the, just laid out on a pew and went to sleep. And then about 4.30 in the morning, I was awoken by the creaking of footsteps on the floor, and I thought, what is that? And uh, I look up, and I saw a man in the darkness, no lights are on, walking down the aisle, and, uh, and it freaked me out. It get, kind of almost gave me a heart attack. Like, I was like, what, what is going on right now, waking up from a dead sleep? And I watched him, though. I sat there, and I watched him. I watched him walk all the way. I was just me and him in here. I was by myself, and, and uh, he had no idea I was there. And so I watched him. He came all the way down to this altar. Lights are all out. It's like 4.30 in the morning. And he knelt here, and he began to pray out loud, pray people's names. He began to pray for his family. And uh, that man's name was James Patterson. And uh, apparently that was part of his morning routine was to come in here, lights off, kneel at this altar and pray. And for me, as a teenager, 14, 15 years old, uh, silently back there to hear that, to hear that devotion, that commitment, that relationship with the Lord, um, just to hear him pouring out people's names uh, in our church and in our community, that was huge for me. That changed me. It left a mark on my life. Um, now, I stayed quiet because James was older, and I thought, surely if I get up and make noise, I might give him a heart attack uh, if in the darkness here. But, again, just so many of my um, formational moments as a believer, as a Christian, uh, were made in this place. And I'm so grateful. It's so great to be back here. Um, there's a strong legacy in this church. Um, I was thinking back to multiple people from the youth group that I came out of here um, are in ministry now <clears throat> in some way or another. And so that's just beautiful. That's something to celebrate. There's a strong legacy at this church. And we should never underestimate the work that can be done. Even with a small church, um, the Lord does big things in the kingdom. A lot of discipleship. A lot of things are birthed. There, there is likely someone in this room right now who has a call to ministry. Um, with as many people I'm seeing in front of me, yeah, there's probably someone in here who's bearing a call to ministry. And so 
um, feed that, nurture it, grow it, and continue to move. Um, I'm at a church now uh, of about 1,000 people, and I've been in ministry for 16 years, but my roots as an individual are still tied to what the Lord did for me here in this place. So I celebrate that, and I encourage you with that this morning. There's a strong legacy here, and uh, I think the Lord is not anywhere near being done with his work. Uh, There are still great days ahead. This morning, we're going to be kind of looking at the topic of love, and namely, loving others. Um, Kind of the golden rule, uh, the greatest commandment. A while back, one of my friends, who's a, he's a worship leader, he came to me and he said, Hey, um, you've been in church planning for years, and um, he's like, I, I'm sure I think you probably think about a lot of these things. He says, So I want to ask you a question. What do you think the church should look like? What, uh, when, when people see the church, what should they see? What should it look like? And so I gave him an answer really quickly, um, just off of the top of my head. But I left that conversation and be- continued to kind of think through that. And uh, it sparked something into me to kind of develop that. What, what should the church look like? And so I began to lay out these marks of the church, uh, a philosophy of ministry for my, myself, I guess, um, what I think the church should look like. And I kind of had about five or six points there that I thought the church should look like. But one of those, one of the main ones for me is that the church be known for loving people. Now, here's the thing. Since the inception of the Christian church, since the very beginning of the church, shortly after Jesus has died, resurrected, and ascends into heaven, we see at Pentecost, which today, I don't know if many people know this today, is Pentecost Sunday. That's a beautiful thing. Uh, the church was born on Pentecost Sunday. And uh, it's a, it's coincidentally, today we celebrate that. Um, and in the inception of the church, on Pentecost Sunday, year one, you know, uh, or I guess that would be 33 A.D. Uh, of the church, since the very beginning, there have been this series of tests, litmus tests, that early church fathers would use to test a a new church, a new body of believers to see if they were valid. Are they really authentic Christians? So there was a series of questions. Things like, um, do they love other people? Are they genuine? Are they they authentic with their love? Uh, There were other questions like, um, who do they say Jesus is? Um, There were questions like, what are their views of the scriptures? Um, what are their views of the Father? So there were this series of, of questions that they would ask. Say a new church had popped up in the city of Corinth. Well, the apostles would get together and they would ask these questions to basically validate that church. And if they did not pass, then they couldn't be considered a church. Um, and so these questions have been around, but one of the basic questions since the, inception, since the inception of the church has been, do they love others? It was a defining thing for the church. The Apostle Paul, uh, basically, it all hung on the balance of that. If, if he didn't see them loving other people, believing that Jesus is Lord, believing that the Father is 
the almighty God of all things, then they couldn't be considered a church. But again, loving others was at a core, uh, a core value for that. Um, and of course, this statement or this question is rooted in a statement that Jesus makes in John chapter 13. Um, and if you want to, you can flip there with me, John chapter 13, verses 34, 35. We'll come back to it a couple of times. Um, Jesus is speaking with his disciples in this moment. And he says to them this, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, and I love this line, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So that's where years later the apostles, they get this series of questions to be able to test churches because the words of Jesus were this. This is how they will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. It's an astounding statement. Jesus Christ is creating the new humanity. He's creating a, a new community of people, um, an alternate community of people, Christians. This whole new movement, he's creating it. He's birthing it out. And uh, so as he's developing it and creating it, um, he's gathering these people together, and then he's speaking life into it. He's saying, this is what will define you, the church, my church. This is what will define you, that you love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. You love one another. That's very formative. That's very astounding. He says, to, he says to his church, you're going to be a city on a hill, a light in the whole world for everyone to see. You're going to be an alternate community. You're, not going, you're going to be the salt of the earth. You're not going to be like everyone else. You're going to be set apart. And by this, they'll know that you are my people that you love one another. That's how they'll know. Those are the words of Jesus, and it's very challenging for us. Um, one of the primary ways we're going to shine bright in this world, one of the primary ways we're going to be a light into the world, one of the primary ways we'll glorify Jesus and that we'll be salt in the earth is that we love one another. That's amazing. There's this old song um, that was written by a Catholic priest years and years ago, and it's called By Our Love. The refrain of that song is very simple and repetitive. It just says this, They will know we are Christians by our love. They will know we are Christians by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. That's so simple, but it's lining totally with what Jesus is saying. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. It's astounding. I love those words. They're very challenging to me. This is how the world will know that you're a Christian. Now, here's the thing. As Christians, um, many of us, most of us, have dreamt up ways or come up with ways to label ourselves, to be marked, so the world can see and know that we are followers of Jesus Christ. And so I, I was trying to think of some as uh, these past couple of days, just thinking of some of the ways that Christians label them, identify themselves, label themselves as Christians, as believers. Um, and so I, I came up with a couple like, uh, you know, we've seen people wear WWJD bracelets, right? The little bracelets that say, what would Jesus do? And, and then if you're out in the shopping center or somewhere and you see someone with those on, you're like, oh, okay, 
there's a fellow believer, you know. I, we can kind of identify each other with that. Another one is jewelry. Like many of us will wear crosses or, or things like that, and that kind of label us as a Christian. We can see that and say, well, they must believe in Jesus. They've got his cross on. Um, another one, another way that we uh, label ourselves uh, or identify ourselves um, communicate to the world, hey, I'm a believer, I'm a follower of Jesus, is uh, I see these uh, bumper stickers on cars, right? You'll see those a lot. Just Christian bumper stickers, something that'll say praise Jesus or uh, Jesus take the wheel, I don't know, some kind of bumper sticker that will be on someone's car. And you, when you're riding down the road, you, you see that and you say, oh, well, they're a Christian. Now, to be very transparent, um, I drive a, a, a black Ram truck and it's got big tires and things on it, and it's pretty easy to see. I do not have a Christian bumper sticker on my truck, and this is the reason why is it's not because I'm embarrassed of Jesus. It's because I don't want Jesus to be embarrassed of me. Uh, <laughs> now, I'm being transparent here because I've had a couple of highway patrolmen um, tell me, you know, hey, you need to slow it down. Uh, I've got a little bit of a lead foot, and so I don't want people saying, um, oh, yeah, look at that truck that just— Went flying down the road. Uh, see, he's got a Jesus sticker on there. Uh, so <laughs> I choose to protect Jesus' reputation and not put that on my vehicle. Uh, some of us have signs in our yards. That's something I've been seeing more these days. The, the uh, thank, G- thank you, Jesus, these signs. And it's a way for us to, to show the world, hey, I'm a believer. I, I believe in Jesus. I follow Jesus. We put those in our yards. And, of course, the last one I kind of came up with is this. There's Christian T-shirts. We see these a lot. Um, people will wear sh- shirts that, I mean, it could be anything as simple as a cross or a scripture on your, on your shirt. And those are really cool. I mean, a lot of people like to wear those. And um, I'm a pretty plain guy. I don't wear, a, I mean, I'm just pretty bland in my, in my dress, so I don't wear a lot of shirts with with graphics on them, but I do see a lot of people wear the Christian t-shirts, and you see them out, right, and you're like, oh, they must be a believer. They must follow Jesus. Um, now, I did, I wanted to tell this kind of funny story. I did uh, own a Christian t-shirt. I've owned a couple, but there was one that, as I was thinking back, um, that I bought. In 1996, uh, Dan River Wesleyan Church Youth Group, we went uh, with a bunch of other Wesleyan churches all around the country, we went to Orlando, Florida for a convention, a youth convention. Uh, it was 1996. The uh, theme for, for the convention was Another Kind of Love. I remember that one uh, very, very well. I remember loading up in the back of a red uh, Dodge church van, driving all the way to Orlando, Florida. Uh, Josh Smith was with me and Aaron Light, and uh, it, was, it was just this great moment for a couple of guys to go to this youth convention and while we were there uh there was great music great preaching well I came out of one of these sessions where they had just finished preaching and it was wonderful and as I was coming out we were trying to go get some food together and there was a t-shirt vendor like a Christian t-shirt vendor and they had all these shirts up on the wall there that you could buy and uh now at the time I'm I think I'm in sixth grade uh now this is not to knock on sixth graders because they were awesome. But when I was in sixth grade, I didn't make the greatest of style and fashion decisions, you know. So uh, I saw this shirt, 
And at the time, like Tommy Hilfiger was a really big name brand. And so I came out of this convention and saw this shirt on the wall that looked like it had a, a Tommy Hilfiger uh, logo on it. I think I, I sent a picture of it. There it is. So I, I was drawn, as a sixth grader, that was on the wall. I was drawn to it. And I was like, what is that? Because it was amongst all these other Jesus shirts. But I was like, man, that one looks cool. And so I, I was like, before I even had the time to finish reading it, I, I could, the words came out of my mouth. I'll take that one, you know. And, and the guy's like, well, that'll be 15 or whatever dollars, and I, I paid him. And then I noticed that it says um, Tommy Hellfighter. And uh, so that was kind of funny. That was like a little bit of a cheesy uh, Christian shirt. And, uh, you know, it, it identified me. Well, I'll tell you what's funny is, there's nothing bad about it, but I wore it to sh- I wore it to school the next week, really proud of it. Um, and uh, I, one of my teachers came to me. He's like, "Hey, uh, we're gonna have to have you change your shirt." And uh, I was like, "What do you mean?" And they were like, "It says the word hell in there. You you can't have that here at school." So uh, well, they wound up giving me another shirt. I had to take it off. But that was my embarrassing Christian T-shirt from back in the day. My point with all of that is this. Uh, we like to identify ourselves. We like for people to know we're believers. We are, we are lovers of Jesus. We are followers of Jesus. Uh, we look for ways to mark ourselves, to label ourselves. But here's what Jesus is saying to that. That's great and all. It's great for you, us to wear crosses or uh, bracelets, whatever. But here's the thing. Jesus is saying this. The way that you will really be known is by your love. It's not on a cross. It's not something you wear around your neck. It's not something you wear on your bracelet. Uh, It's not a shirt or a sign in your yard or a bumper sticker. The way the world will know that you are set apart, the way the world will know that you are following me, the way the world will know that you are a disciple of Jesus is that you love others with the heart of Jesus. Um, And the Scriptures are full of this because the, 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 the Gospels, our, our disciples, the apostles, uh, were hinging on those words of Jesus, and they take off after Jesus ascends, and they start writing letters to the churches, and we get our scriptures, and they are full uh, of this encouragement to love others. As a matter of fact, the word love is used over a thousand times in the Bible. Uh, and furthermore, all of the laws, all of the commandments, all the scriptures can be summed up into one theme. Now, this is pretty radical to say, but I believe it's the truth. Everything, the whole Gospels, the whole Bible can be wrapped up in one theme, and that's to love. And the reason I come to that uh, conclusion is this. Jesus, in Matthew 22, Jesus is uh, approached by a Pharisee, and the Pharisee says to Jesus, he says, "Uh, Teacher, Rabbi, what's the greatest commandment? What's the greatest one? And Jesus quickly says to him, You must love your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. That's the first and greatest commandment. And then he says a second and equally important commandment is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus says this in verse 40. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Now that makes it pretty compact and easy and tangible for us as Christians. Jesus says, everything that I'm teaching you, all the commandments, all the laws are wrapped up into these two things. Love God with your whole heart and love people with the same heart. That's pretty tangible, right? 
There's not a lot of rules there. There's not a lot of crazy things. He's just saying, love God with your whole heart. If you can give God your whole heart and you can love people with your whole heart, then you will live up to the expectations of God. Love is not only what marks us, it's what we're required to do. It's not just something that is a a small aspect of Christianity. Love is a requirement. It's a commandment from God to love others. So it's not only what marks us, it's the root of the Christian faith. And the early church, they believed this. uh, And that's why we see over and over again the apostles in the New Testament writing to people, encouraging them uh, to love love one another. I want to share just a couple of these. Um, We see in the book of Hebrews, the Hebrews author in in chapter 13, he says this, uh, Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. And then in 1 Peter, we see them encourage us, above all, above all, love each other deeply. In 2 John chapter 5, verse 5, he says, uh, the writer says this, And now I am not writing a you, new, you a new commandment, but one you have had from the beginning. I command that you love one another. In Romans chapter 12, we're told this, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. In 1 John, we see this. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Now, that's a pretty striking statement to me. That's a, a, that scripture challenges me. Whoever does not love others does not know God, because God is love. That pierces me right in the heart, you know? If I'm not loving everyone around me, then I'm not representing God. I'm not, I'm not showing that I know God. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, if I speak in tongues of men and angels, but I have not love, I'm just a noisy, clanging symbol. Um, strong words. Um, so we see, this, uh, we see this over and over again, these, uh, the disciples saying these things, they're, they're encouraging us. Uh, and that, anytime that we see something driven home over and over again, love one another, the way you're going to be known is your love, then we should know, we should take heed to that because it means that the Lord really holds a lot of importance on that. The scriptures are full of those encouragement, right? But there's also a couple times in the scriptures where... Uh, the, the disciples, the apostles, are calling out Christians who are not loving people. Matter of fact, in, in, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, we see that. Now, this, this passage, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we've all, most of us have all heard it. Uh, it's the love chapter. Uh, we hear it at weddings. Matter of fact, I was uh, doing a wedding last night down near Charlotte, and um, that, that scripture was used in the wedding. Uh, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast, right? And so we focus on that, and it's great. That's a, a wonderful one. But I think it's also really important for us to understand the context that Paul was writing about when he wrote that chapter. Paul was writing a letter to the church in Corinth, and at the time uh, he addresses them because he says that they were being divided. They were splitting off. Uh, because they had some disagreements based on the spiritual gifts that the Lord had been given that community. Uh, there were some folks who had been given the gift of prophecy, some folks who had been given the gift of healing, some folks who had been given the gift of tongues, and others who had been given the gift of preaching and teaching. 
and they began to split apart rather than to be unified. They began to split apart from each other because um, I guess some were jealous of other gifts and things like that. So the Apostle Paul, he, he hears this and he, he writes a letter to this church and he says, uh, he, he says to them, you know, love is patient, love is kind, all these things. But then he says this, and I, I'll echo it again. We just said it. Uh, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I don't have love, I'm just a noisy or gong, uh, gong or clanging cymbal. And if I have a prophetic power and I understand the mysteries and all the knowledge, if I have all the faith so much as to move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. So Apostle Paul was saying all these gifts that the Holy Spirit has been given you, they're nothing. They're worthless if you don't use them with love for other people. If you're not using them to be unified and to love each other, then they're useless. Um, so I love that, um, and, and I, I'm encouraged by that, and I'm, I'm, I'm challenged by it. Um, this love is the essence, the root of the Christian faith, and we have this perfect example of love laid before us. I can talk about it all day, but here's the reality, too. It's been modeled. Love has been modeled for us perfectly. 1 John 3.16 says this. This is how I know what real love is. Christ gave his life for us. Look at this example before us of love. A God who was being, let's imagine for a moment, <clears throat> Jesus he is the Alpha, the Omega. He is the Word. He was there in the very beginning. He is the Anointed One who sits on a throne in heaven. He was there at creation. He sits on a throne, and if you can imagine, angels around him, glorifying him, praising him, beaming light around him. The most beautiful scene that we could ever imagine he has that. He has all the glory in the world. And then he sees his people in need. He sees his people in hurt, and he sees them in trouble. He sees that we were hopeless. We were helpless. We were doomed for eternity. And this God who sits on a throne receiving glory 24-7 steps off of his throne, steps away from being a king, he sets his crown back on the throne. He steps away from his throne, and he walks from beaming light into darkness. He goes from a king to being a servant. He goes from a king to being a sacrifice, knowing he left heaven, and he walks, and he gives his life freely for us. That is what love looks like, the God who gives himself away, the God who didn't have to do that, he has all authority and all power and all glory. But he loved you. He loved me. He loved all of humanity so much that he stepped into darkness to give himself away, knowing what it would mean for him, knowing that he would lay his life down. That is what love looks like. A love that gives itself away. A God who gives himself away. And this is the essence of Christianity. He's calling us to follow in his footsteps, to be lovers. His followers are called to do the exact same thing, to be people who give themselves away, to be people who love others. I want to say this, to know God 
is to know love because God is love. To follow Jesus is to love others. You cannot follow Jesus and not love others. You cannot do it because that's his way. Love is the foundation of the church of Jesus Christ, and that's a love that gives its way. And here's the thing. If we see someone in need, if we see someone in hurting, no matter what they look like, no matter what their background is, if we see a need and we are not compelled to help, how is love in us? If we see a need, if we see someone hurting, and we don't help that person, how is Jesus in us? That's the test of our faith, love. That's what the kingdom of God looks like, loving others with the heart of Jesus, laying our life down, putting ourselves second, just like Jesus did, sacrificing our own pleasure, our own desires, so that others may be helped, the kingdom may be built, and others are brought to Jesus. Laying ourself down so that healing can take place in someone else's life. That is what the way of Jesus looks like. And sometimes it's really easy for us as Christians, often it's very easy for us to recluse into discipleship. This church, you know, it's really easy for us to, to focus on self-betterment, which is a really good thing. It's very important for us to grow in the likeness of Jesus, to grow closer to Jesus, to grow closer to God, to grow into holiness. Those are very important for us. But we cannot trade that for forgetting about the world that's outside of the walls of the church, right? It's important for us to come here and grow in discipleship and grow in the likeness of Jesus and grow in holiness. But... The church, this building, exists to be a spark for us. A spark that sends us back out the doors to be a wildfire of the movement of Jesus, the kingdom of God, in our cities, in our places of work, um, in our families, to see the movement of Jesus, the movement of love, take place. What we do here is just a spark to the flame of Christianity. So church, we exist to make disciples. We exist to see every person find their way back to Jesus. We exist to see healing brought to the land, into our streets, our neighborhoods, our cities. We exist to reach our neighbors for the movement of Jesus. We exist, all that is summed up into this, we exist to bring the kingdom come here and now. I was a part of a revival on sat, on Friday night. My days are running together this week. I have every night this week. We have been somewhere doing ministry somewhere. And, but on Friday night, I was a part of a big community gathering. And that was one of the things I remember driving home with people is this. Um, the kingdom of God is not some far-off thing. It's not something that's going to happen years from now when Jesus come back comes back to get us and take us to heaven. His kingdom is alive and active right now here on earth. And it is our role as his followers to expand that kingdom, to empower that kingdom, to be the movement of Jesus in our world. The kingdom of God is here and now. And that's why Jesus prayed it. Bring your kingdom now, Lord. Your kingdom come. And that's our role. Now that he has left and gone back to heaven, Jesus said this. 
all these things that I've done, all the miracles that I've done, all the great works that I, that I did, you will do them as well. Because all the power and all authority that he had, he left to us. By the power of his resurrection that we share in the resurrection of Jesus and all that power and authority, he gave it to his church and said, now take that and go heal the world with it. Go love the world. So we can't get comfortable sitting only in, in our seats on Sunday morning and, and growing closer to Jesus. Those are, that's very important, but it doesn't stop here. The most important part of Christianity happens when we get up this morning and we walk out those doors. This morning is a spark to the fire of the movement of Jesus that takes places in our streets, in our places of work, and in our communities. And the beautiful thing is this. Again, he gave us all the tools we need to do it. Because as he was leaving, he said, all authority, all power I give to you. Now go. Take it. Heal the world. So we talked a lot about that. We talked a lot about this greatest commandment, loving the world with the heart of Jesus. How do we do it? How do we love with the heart of Jesus? I've just got, in wrapping up here, I've just got a couple, uh, three really uh, brief things. How do we love the world? How do we love our families? How do we love our places of work? How do we love our schools? How do we love uh, our places of recreation? How do we love our communities with the heart of Jesus? As I see it, step one is this. We seek the Lord's heart. We can't love the people around us until we've sought the Lord's heart because his heart is for people. Until we begin to understand the heart of Jesus uh, we will never fully love people around us. I want to say this, and I hope this will, I'll leave this with you. If you want to write this down, uh, take it with you. If you are seeking the heart of God, I can guarantee where it will lead you. If you're seeking the heart of God, if you want to be a man, a woman after God's own heart, if you are seeking his heart, I will guarantee you where the, the heart of God will lead you to loving others because that's who he is his whole heart the whole heart of God is given to humanity his sons and daughters it's poured out and I I'm a new dad you know I I um my daughter Emmy Lou is uh 21 months old and uh the Lord is pouring all kinds of revelation into me through her I'm starting to see more and more the Lord's heart for humanity uh, the longer I'm her dad. Because let me tell you, and I hope you hear this, there is nothing she could ever do to change my heart for her. There's nothing she could ever say. She could curse me. She could slap me in the face. She could say whatever. But I love her. And that will never change. And I think that's the beauty of parenting is that the Lord reveals his heart to us through that. Um, we don't get it when we're teenagers. We don't understand it. Uh, but then someday we have a kid and it's like, oh, I get it now. And that's the way the Father is to us. That's the way God is for us. There is nothing you could ever do. There's nothing you or anyone else could ever do 
to make the Lord turn his back on you. You are his son, you are his daughter, and his heart is fully bent towards you. It is given to you. So I'll say this, he will do anything for you, and he has. He's gone to the ends of the earth. He's laid his life down and poured his blood out for you. So I'll say this again. If you are seeking for the heart of God, I'll guarantee you where it will lead you, to those people around you, because his heart is broken. It is given to humanity. So that's step one. How do we love the world with the heart of Jesus? We seek the heart of God. Step two is this. We pray. We ask the Lord, give us eyes, Lord. Give us your eyes. Help me to see things the way that you see them. Help me to see the needs in my community, the hurts in my community, the things that you would want, Jesus, the things that you would want to be healed, to be helped. Give me the eyes to see them. I have a homeless friend. His name is Neil. I met Neil years ago uh, on the street uh, in Chapel Hill. And Neil was panhandling. He was asking for money. And uh, if you can imagine, Neil is like just this crazy beard. He is not very well kempt. Uh, He doesn't smell great. Uh, But I developed a friendship with Neil. And uh, we talk often. Still, I've moved away from Chapel Hill, but we still uh, talk as often as we can. And um, Neil said to me something revolutionary one day. Uh, we were sitting, I, I, I would, anytime I see him, I would always stop. And I try to do that with a lot of homeless people. In Chapel Hill, there was always a lot of homeless people. And so I would oftentimes just do my best to stop and engage and just at least say hey uh, and shake a hand or something. But Neil said something that just revolutionary to me. He said um, to me, he said, I, I think I know what it's like. Uh, I think well, I know what it feels like to be God. And I said, what? Like, hold on. You know, I, I didn't, you know, I'm like, what is he about to say? Because those are, that's some big words, man. And so he said, I, I think I know what it feels like to be God. And I said, Neil, do tell, <laughs> you know, let's hear what you got. And he said, well, I sit out here on the street every day, and um, he does ask for money. And uh, he said, people walk by, you know, all the time. And he said, I think I know what it's like to feel like God, because he said, I'm always present but never seen. Um, That was revolutionary to me. God is, he's around us right now. We never see him, and a lot of times we forget about him, and a lot of times we overlook him, but he's always there. But the reality is our brothers and sisters the, the, the sons and daughters of God in our community who are hurting are in that same position, right? There, there are oftentimes people, there are needs that we walk right by or we look over, but the Lord sees them, and the Lord's heart is broken, broken for them. So God, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear. And then this, give us a heart for broken people, Lord. Break our hearts. And then one more thing, give us opportunities to serve, Lord. We pray. Step three, and the last thing is this, we act. We seek his heart. We ask him to give us his eyes, his ears, and then we go into action. Today is a spark to the calling that the Lord has for you outside of these doors. Today is a spark. The kingdom of God exists outside of these doors, and he wants to grow it. He wants to advance it. 
He wants to see healing brought. That is our command. That is his desire for us. Will you pray with me? Lord, it is an honor, it is a privilege to be sons and daughters of God. To be children of God. To be bought into your kingdom. It is a joy. Will you help us, Lord? Will you give us your heart for humanity so that those around us can experience the same joy, the same honor to be a part of this kingdom? Will you break our hearts, Lord Jesus? Break our hearts for our community, for the people around us, that not one person would be left not knowing who you are. We celebrate the life that was changed this morning. We celebrate the person who was brought into the kingdom of God this morning. And Lord, let that be a spark to what we leave these doors and go and do. Expanding your kingdom. Building your kingdom. Give us your eyes. Give us your ears. Give us your heart, Lord. Help us to love one another. And Lord, may Eden, North Carolina, know that you are alive and well because your love, your kingdom, is moving like a wildfire through the streets, through the places of work, through our schools. Use us, Lord. We love you. In your name, amen.